0: I got swine flu.
1: By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales podcast. My guest today is David Moscow. Before we get to David here's a few announcements. First and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and you can see some articles that I've written, some articles that some of the guests have written. You can see photos of the guests. You can see links to their social media. You can see links to our social media, which is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. My professional website is FunnyMike.com. If you want to know where I'm going to be comedy wise or anything like that, or want to see my reels and that kind of stuff. But at com, you can see links to Stitcher Radio. We can see links to Apple Podcasts. We are on iHeartRadio and Spotify, basically anywhere you get your podcasts. So if you listen to us on those platforms, I would appreciate a good review. Maybe say some nice things. How about a star? How about a bunch of stars? How about a thumbs up? Anything because that boosts our presence and helps more people find the show, and that's a cool thing for you to do, and it costs you nothing, and I'd appreciate it. If you think you might be right for the show, you know somebody who might be right for the show, or maybe you just have some nice things to say. You can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Well, somebody who did reach out to me was the publicist for David Moscow, and David, when he was pitched to me, I knew the name sounded familiar. So sure enough, I did a little quick research, and turns out he and I acted together, In a short film way back in, I think, 2009 or something called Jack the Reaper. And we'd even had a scene together. So it all fell into place. He's a guy who's been in show business a long time. He was a child actor, most notably. Played the young Tom Hanks in Big. He was in Newsies. And he's worked a bunch. But for the last few years, he hosted a show called From Scratch. It's a food-based travel show. Now, he's not a chef or anything like that but it does focus on how food is an integral part of people's lives everywhere around the world. It talks about the impact of food, growing it, harvesting it, hunting it and the impact it's having on the earth. It talks about the role that food has played in our lives from day one on this planet and where we're heading as things like climate change and a growing world population happens. How are we going to eat in the future? I worry about this a bunch. Having traveled a a lot and seen the population grow just in my lifetime exponentially and the world population has more than doubled in just my lifetime alone. So I wonder where the the food's going to come from, where the water's going to come from all this kind of thing. So From Scratch kind of follows David around to meet people around the world to see what they eat and where the food comes from. It's also a companion book out right now. You can get on Amazon. We have the link on our site, also called From Scratch. And it's an interesting read. I I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read a number of chapters and uh, I'm into it. It's kind of interesting. It's very interesting, actually. Anyway, it was great to talk to him and reconnect. And I'm looking forward to a third season of From Scratch, wherever that may be. Please enjoy my chat with David Moscow. So David Moscow, you were in San Diego on a staycation from LA. Yeah, it turns out you live about like a mile from me or something. With yep. we could, have, but yet we have to use the technology. We have to use it always.
1: <laughs> we should be next door. I'll be in the other room. We'll be zooming.
0: Right. This is social distancing. <laughs> you know when your your people got a hold of me and I was like, boy, this name sounds familiar. Yeah. Why do I know this name? And it turns out, you know, oh, right. This is the same guy I did a short film with. We worked together.
1: I yeah. called up Brian and was like, what's up with Mike? And he was like, he's hilarious. What are you doing with him? And I was like, oh, I'm going to do his podcast. He's, he does travel stuff. He's like, oh, he loves to travel. <laughs> uh, Brian, for everybody who's listening, was the producer of, uh, of our uh, short that we did. Jack the Reaper. Jack the Reaper. Yeah. which turned out uh, pretty good for a short. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun yeah. to do.
0: Yeah. um so uh one of the reasons well i guess the main reason why uh, i was contacted by your uh your publicist and everything is because you have moved uh, have you done with acting or or you still dip yeah. your toe in it
1: yeah no i'm done i you know <laughs> it had been um about 25 years in front of the camera and um i uh started producing i actually had this my dad called me up one day. I ran a theater company with some friends in New York. My dad called me up and he was like, uh, you know, my dad is a community activist um, and and sort of starts schools and after school programs, you know, does good things for the world. And uh one of the people he works with called him up. And his kid, who I had known since we were little, was uh had written about 20 pages of of music for a play, for a musical at college and was graduating. This was his thesis. And uh my dad said, do you want to go down and see it, you know, put on? And I was like, Oh no, this is a nightmare. Like there's nothing worse than bad theater being stuck. Yeah. And especially a family friend. You're like, Oh, so. But <laughs> uh, the, only thing worse, judgment,
0: the only thing worse is bad improv. That's oh yeah. The, that's
1: terrible. That's
0: tough. And that's then your friend's like,
1: how'd you do? And you go, you were up
0: there. <laughs> you were up there. You, like, uh, you look like you're
1: having a good time up there. <laughs> so uh, against my better uh, judgment, we I went down and about 10 minutes in, I was like, lock the doors. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. And um, so then I workshopped it with them for a year. It was their first producer. Um, and the kid's name was Lin-Manuel Miranda. And uh, the play was In the Heights. It went on to win the Tony for Best Musical. And so during that time, my agents would be calling and they'd be like, can you make this audition? And I'd be like, this is the ninth time that I'm going out for Law & Order. They know me like... I yeah. auditioned for a killer last week and they just <laughs> hire me. And so there was, you know, on one side, I was, I was the person making the phone calls, right? Which was kind of cool. The first time in my acting career where I wasn't being asked to sit and wait. And, um, and so then with the success of that, I was able to start producing and, and I, I financed and, well, with investors. We made about 25 movies from that point to now. Um, and then this was one of my investors. Why we're talking is one of my investors had really liked this idea that we were kicking around about doing a documentary that focused on um, particularly Mexican food culture in the United States, but sort of how tacos are made, how margaritas are made, because it, it was on at the same time when Donald Trump was running for uh, election the first time, and he was saying a lot of bad things about Mexicans. And I was like, "This is insane. The margaritas <laughs> is the best cocktail in America, number one selling cocktail in America. We all eat tacos. This is crazy. These are our brothers. These are our family. This is our neighbors. Like, so why don't we show the hard work that goes on behind the scenes of bringing food to our plate?" And um, and then I was repped at the time at, at UTA, who also repped Bourdain. And then they came back and said, you know, Bourdain's company thinks this would be a cool series, not just a documentary, but every week you go and investigate some food culture around the world. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what happened. We, we turned it into a a one hour show. Uh, it premiered on, um, FYI. And then last season we were on history and FYI, um, and, and season three, we are negotiating to be on a, bigger platform. So I'm hoping by the time anyone hears this, that we will be, uh, um, you know, on a streamer. So, okay. Oh,
0: and we said, and we should say then the show was called from scratch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you
0: basically, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've uh, read part of the book that you, there's a book also about it coming you can out. Plug
1: that yep. now, plug it now. Let's get the plugs out. <laughs> there's a book coming out uh, October 25th. It's also called from scratch. Keep it really simple, but it's a companion piece to the show, in the show and the book. I travel to meet with a the chef. They make me a meal. I then hunt, gather, grow forage every ingredient. Come back and try and reproduce the meal with the chef. And um, along the way, you know, you get to meet the people who are, you know, doing one of the most important things for us, and that's getting us our food. Um, but then also you really see how sort of climate change is affecting food production. Um, you know, you run into places where they've had seven year droughts and they're trying to harvest wheat or they're, they're trying, we're trying to get fish uh, in the South China sea and can't get fish for our meal, and turn to the, the fishermen. And they basically say that this is a common thing, you know, so you're really getting a picture of the planet. Um, and you, <laughs> are we going to be able to eat in like 50 years 20 right. years pretty crazy stuff yeah yeah so uh, i read
0: oh we should say it's, it's from scratch and um i read the uh, stories about like oysters yeah you know things like that a simple thing like that you don't think about but new york oysters and how it was a staple food a couple hundred years ago and then it just kind of went away and then yeah. cheap cheap meat on the land kind of supplanted a lot of that stuff but
1: when they Looking when refrigeration, for, yeah. when refrigerated train cars came about and you were able to take cows from one side of the country to the other, and you know it took you uh, uh, a year to raise three hundred pounds of protein with that cow, um it was much easier than the three years it takes to do three ounces of protein with an oyster. So it really flipped uh, uh, you know decimated the oyster industry along with pollution um, in, in the, in the sound and, and other places where you raise oysters. Um, but now, uh, you know, what we've learned about oysters is that they clean the water. A lot of the pollution in these places has gone away and there's all these health benefits. Um, there's a lot of zinc in there. So we were doing this during the pandemic and, um, this would be the kind of thing that you should be taking for your health. Um, and it also, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people know at this point is that, you know, getting cheap, large portions of meat um, is not the best for our bodies. It's not the best for our health. So kind of restricting yourself to having proteins being a smaller part of your meal, or even an appetizer, um, or something like oysters being at the center of the plate um, is healthy for us, healthy for the environment. Um, And at the same time, you know, we like to talk about that, the fact that it's it's a pretty crazy adventure to wade into the Long Island Sound at, at four in the morning and and yeah. go swimming in essence <laughs> for oysters. Um and uh these these kind of food adventures um turn into a bucket list. You know, it's like when do you get a chance? To, you you get an excuse to go do these things that um normally you just you know, you take a vacation, you go lie on a beach. Well here, you know, why don't you go try and harvest oysters at the same time (laughs) that you're, you're uh, swimming in the, um, in the sound.
0: I love how you hated them going into this. And then all of a sudden you, you don't mind up now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I I don't, does anybody like, is anybody really excited about having oysters for the first time? I love oysters, but I mean,
0: I I understand the, uh, the texture is a turnoff for a lot of people. Yeah.
1: Well, I, it took it took the show. It took being prodded, you know, with a pitchfork <laughs> by my producers to eat these things. Well, and now, I think they they go in line with the experience. I think that's part of it. Like like shooting oysters is like sitting with your friends or someone that you love, yeah. and and it's the experience of it as much as it is the taste. And sure. The
0: texture. I mean, I always. You know, I've been to almost a hundred countries around the world now at this point, and My you know, like the local food is something I always try to experience when I'm there. And I'm not—I don't consider myself a foodie, you know—I'm not really particular about that, but I—I want to see what the locals are eating. Yeah. And one of the reasons is because it does say so much about their history. Why does this kind of bread it's kind of similar is to, you know, four countries over. I was, oh, was all because like a thousand years ago, the migrant, the Silk yeah. Road went through here and then they brought it with them and immigrants bring. So a history of every place is right there on the plate. You know, I it says that. so I, much yeah. about, it
1: says so much about where you are. And food is so tied with that place, right? Like food culture is a huge part of what people, how people define themselves, right? Wherever you go around the world or even in your, in your own city, like, you know, vegans have their own culture. And, uh, and one of the hard one, one of the things, you know, I realized is super hard with, with food, trying to change your eating habits is actually trying to change your community. It's trying to change the people you eat with. Right. So like, I am trying to eat less meat. My family it's a big meat eating family, particularly the extended, particularly my wife's family, right? Are they so, from
0: like Argentina or something? Or?
1: They're Filipino.
0: Oh, Okay, yeah, so yeah. It's well, that's like, a lot of meat.
1: It's adobo. It's like, yeah. it ain't a meal unless there's meat and rice on the plate,
0: right? The pig cooked in the ground, and yeah, exactly. I, I, I ate that there, you know.
1: Oh, it's yeah. it's delicious. I mean, Filipino, oh, sure, food
0: is but ridiculous. I can't food. make a habit of it.
1: No, <laughs> and yet, you know, that's if I if I try if I were to go over to their house and be like, Hey guys, I'm vegan. I'm vegetarian. It would be like a, a shock, shock and awe. Sure. Right? Oh yeah. So, so we realized that food is so tied in with who you are, where you are um, and the people that you are in community with, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, but isn't that kind of worrisome in the way that people are still eating the old ways when, you know, now what there's, uh, you know, what close to 8 billion people in the world now. And uh, like you said but you know the fish we're running out of fish in the sea yeah yeah uh, we're running cool, out of cool. land to graze these
1: cattle yep um that the earth is the earth is going to is 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 about to teach us a lesson i mean we're seeing it right now i think this weekend it's labor day it's going to be 110 in the valley 120 um in the deserts uh it was 100 in london last month th- yeah that's th- unheard of this is and this is a, a lot of this is related to food production so we are going to be forced to figure out or or we're not or humanity is going to go i mean that's one of the things that when you start pulling these threads you're like oh my goodness what is the end of this what is the end of no fish in the south china sea where a third of the fishing boats in the world exist and they're feeding you know 2 billion people there it's one of the reasons why China is building fake islands all over there to extend the Chinese territory and they are bumping up against Philippines, uh, Ta- Taiwan, Vietnam, all these places do not recognize the dotted line that China is building. So when people, and it's for fish, that's what it's for. It's just for fish. So when people, you know, think about sort of where World War Three is going to happen. Ah, you know, could be Israel, Palestine, India, Pakistan, Ukraine, Russia. The South China Sea and fish is, is an incredibly scary situation because not only are they trying to get the fish, but I think this, the, the, the South China Sea has lost something like 90% of its fish over the last 50 to 70 years. So there's barely anything there. And the people who are having territorial disputes, the countries or not even at the place where they can reach across and say, Hey, we're, we're undecided about, <laughs> we dispute these lines that you're doing, but we need to save the fish no matter what occurs. Right. So they can't even have that conversation. Um, and that's, I think that's the only way that, you know, we're going to save the oceans in the Pacific, um, purely on a, on a, uh, uh, on a selfish level a human a humanity selfish level that we we want to eat this fish right that we need to survive um so it's pretty scary we were out on a boat um all night looking we were making patis, which is like a Filipino fish sauce it's kind of it's like a condiment it's on every table almost yeah. like ketchup um and uh and we did we came home empty empty handed and uh the fisherman said that. This is normal. They'll go out for days, not find anything, and that you know, their dad, his dad, expected that he'd come home with a hundred pounds, and his dad's dad expected he'd come home with a ton, and he expects to come home with fifty pounds, and that's the new normal. Um, so it's pretty, pretty wild, and then it's also pretty wild to be out in the South China Sea on a fishing boat as China had just, I think China had just killed two Filipino fishermen like the week before. So it was turning into this like, holy smokes, I just want to make some fish <laughs> sauce. But this, this wild international sort of situation based around food was going on.
0: And oh, yeah. Still today. No, you think about it. I mean, they're talking about it here in America with like, you know the Chinese and other foreign governments. They, they they've bought a a ton of farmland mm-hmm. here in America,
1: and and some of our wealthiest. You know, Bill Gates is the largest fa- landowner, yeah. farmland owner in America.
0: They know what's the valuable. They're doing this as an investment. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and genetic isn't there like a genetic farming thing they're looking into, like trying to make more sustainable crops and
1: yeah. You know that it's a it's a mixed. That thing is a mixed. I have, I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, sort of big ag or genetic agriculture is, you know, one of the ways that we've been able to make cheaper food for poor people. Right. So that's a great thing. Um, on the other side, when they try and hide it or pretend, you know, that they don't, if they're, if they're not, um, what do you call it? Where, where, where you say everything that's going on, if they're not,
0: uh, basically,
1: yeah, if they're not transparent with it, that's the scary part. You know, we, we need to be able to, um, judge for ourselves what's going on. And when they keep changing the rules of like what organic means, or, you know, they secretly do this Congress meets and then suddenly, um, there was a, a really amazing uh, investigative journalist, Greg Pallast, who wrote a book called uh, "The Best Money Democracy Can Buy," and in it he was he he basically unearthed these um, reports from Monsanto. They had come out with a new um, antibiotic for cattle, and the the antibiotic it's now the most widely used antibiotic in the United States for cows. And part of the um, it did. It did uh, help cows not get sick, but but part of the uh, uh, side effect was that the cows produced about ten percent of the milk was pus, and this was unearthed. Monsanto said, "Oh my goodness, why did anybody tell anybody about this?" And Canada then immediately made the the medication illegal, and the EU said no. The U.S. instead, the government met and then allowed more parti- non-mark- non-milk particulates to be allowed to be called milk. So 10% of it's plus, and we're just going to call this milk now, and there <laughs> you go. And nobody knew about it. So now when you go and uh, whatever, RBS 15 or whatever it's called, your regular non-organic milk will have this, and they have allowed... Whatever amount of non-milk particulates to be called milk in it—that's crazy stuff and should not be allowed.
0: Now, when you go around the world and see these things, and how many episodes have you shot? Twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Okay, and, and it's twenty different countries.
1: Well, we do we do a bit in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and then there's uh, some episodes are two countries at once. Like we went to Croatia, and we stopped in Serbia just because we talked about sort of like. Um, food and the the civil war that they had the breakup of Yugoslavia so that so we went and saw uh there were a couple countries there um the Mexico ep- episode starts in the U.S. and ends up going to Mexico because the restaurant was here um so yeah we we jump around but yeah I'd say I'd say the U.S. and the, and 15 other countries 16 other countries
0: isn't it hard to uh, and I, I struggle against this in myself all the time it's when you look at things like this and any kind of you know whether it's food sustainability or any kind of humanitarian thing and, and seeing just the growth of um, population really, and and people around the world, isn't it hard to not get um, negative? I mean, and, and down on it. How do you stay positive when you see, (laughs) when you see no fish in the ocean or um, them clear cutting, well, rainforest to so more cattle can yeah, graze on. Yeah, I
1: mean, I, I think that I think well, there's a couple things going on with regards to the population. So we hear like population growth is the problem, and then somebody like Elon Musk comes out and population collapse is the problem. You know, because Western Europe and Japan, nobody's having any more babies, and they're yeah. freaked out about that. You know, so so both sides, everyone's like, but I but I actually think it's it's how. There's more than enough food out there and we can reduce how we consume it or not how we consume it. We can reduce how it's manufactured, how it's produced, right? So the problem isn't people eating fish. The problem is how the fish is caught and how much fish is caught and how much waste there is. And the management of the food is really the problem because we're at the point, you know, humans are incredibly successful. Obviously, we see that. Intelligent. We can make these changes. It's a money question. The people who are making tons of money the way things are now do not want to change because it's going to cost them money to change. And in the long run, they're probably going to lose out. It's kind of like just looking at oil, right? We know that wind and solar and all these other things are better than oil, but there's a trillion dollars worth of oil in the ground and. People don't want to give that yeah. up and they're going to fight like mad to make sure that they get every last drop and it goes in their pockets. Well, it and, takes
0: political will and, and governments to care, which correct. is even more depressing.
1: And that's, <laughs> and that's, what's hard. But when you go on the ground and you know this, cause you traveled to, I mean, insane, more countries than me right now. <laughs> I'm like looking at a hundred, like, wow, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> you meet the people and the people are great. People are wonderful. And, and I think there's in some ways like, you go to the poorest places, and those people are the most thankful, like, like you see what real humanity is. You know, we were in Peru harvesting quinoa in the mountains in the Andes, and we went, and these are subsistence farmers who were so excited for us to be there. They they went and, you know, the traditional meal is, is guinea pig. When, when they're celebrating something. So they killed almost all their guinea pigs for me and my crew. <laughs> I was like, you don't need to kill the guinea yeah. pigs. Please, no guinea yeah. pigs. But then we, I mean, it was such an amazing experience because they were showing us their world. They were so proud and happy to have us there celebrating quinoa farming. You know, that's, they, they don't often get that. Uh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, when you're on the ground with people, you, it gives you hope for... uh, 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 the future of us and, and hope is happiness. So it really makes me happy, like to be there and see like people working hard. And then it's my job on the other side, our job on the other side, you know, you have a microphone, I have a pen and it's our job on the other side to really push the governments and the, and the big businesses who are, you know, you know, grinding these fish up. Like there's no tomorrow and we got to push them, you know? And, um, so I don't know if you have kids, but I have two kids. And and I'm like, all right, I don't have a long, long time here, but they've got another possible 100 years in front of them. Let's make sure that there's something there for them.
0: Well, I mean, the things we can control are consumption and waste. And I think one of the reasons that, you know, one of as much as America has an influence culturally and everything around the world for the last 100 years, as much as they like our we love their music and their entertainment and the, yeah. you know and other things that we've given to the world but one of the bad things i think we've given is the um consumer oh, society yeah, yeah. you know when they see uh they want to consume like americans and that's like a sign yeah. of success but if uh, that's if the a world
1: problem. that's if, the culture if, that we've given them yeah
0: yeah and if the world consumes like we do we're screwed yeah. you know i mean you could say yes an average African woman in sub-Saharan Africa has like five, six kids. Yeah. But the individual carbon footprint of each of those kids is America 10 times less than, than one American.
1: You know what America I mean? America consumes 60% of everything in the world. Yeah.
0: And we make up five, four or five 5% of the world population, but we consume like 25% of the resources, which is why people hate us. You know, when yeah. people when people say, "Well, they hate you for your freedoms," no, they really hate us for why do we need so much? And, and That's also, the question like, I get around the world. I mean, and you're a military empire. I mean, you're going to get right. that. But that's
1: what it is to protect <laughs> that 25% consumption. Right. A whole network of like, you know, how much killing and torture happened to get to this point where we have our McMansions and our mini malls. It's like, and then we use this might yeah. to keep it the same. Um, we got to a, a we got to a dark place right here.
0: Well, right? I mean, worry about well. You hear about like how much food um, America throws away. Yeah, is enough to feed most countries. You know yeah. and how much goes to waste, and things. Well, that like goes
1: that. back to the food production. It's yeah. done. It's done in a way that and and so I sort of see there is an answer, right? It's not like there's no answer. That would be a, a terrible situation. If like, oh my goodness, what do we do? But we know the answers. There's an interesting thing in going back to the Philippines that, you know, they know that these marine protected areas uh, where you designate an area of land, where no one, area in the water where no one can fish, right? And and that allows the fish to reproduce, build back up. And then they they start to grow too big for that marine protected area. And fishermen can go fish on the outside of that marine protected area. And there is a, you know, It is transformative. Um, You need 30% of of the ocean to be marine protected in order for fish to rebuild. And what happened is the EU, Philippines wants to sell fish to the EU and the EU, the people in the EU want sustainable fish. So the EU passed a law that they will no longer purchase fish from countries that don't fish sustainably. And that changed how the Philippines now fishes. So they're building marine protected areas. So here's a way where consumers uh, who believe in something can change uh, governments and companies for the better, right? So they collectively, and that's another thing we want to talk about on our show is that food unites us, right? Even, you know, a lot of Americans walk around thinking, you know, I did this by myself. I'm on an Island. I, yeah. You know, you, you eat a slice of pizza. There were 60 people who made that slice of pizza. So, yeah, you did it by yourself if you don't want to eat pizza. If you don't want to go to a restaurant, sure. If you milk not... the
0: cow yourself and you make the bread yourself and yeah, exactly. you grow the wheat.
1: <laughs> so at the, har- at the at the sh- at the lowest level, we are tied. We are tied together, unified. And to pretend you, you can't pretend that you can pretend it's not true, but there's no reality in that. So if we decide that we are going to eat differently, um, and that there are important things that we want to change in our food production, we can make it happen, and it happens. You know, the U.S. was running out of cod, and under the Obama administration, they did a a similar thing that the Philippines is doing, except they did they skipped a season. They would pay fishermen to not fish, so they would give the cod a year to rebound, I think, off of New England. And it was a huge success. And and we now have, you know, cod again in, in the North Atlantic. Um, Iceland did this as well. Uh, they started doing um, quotas on the fish. Every man, woman, child corporation in Iceland has a fish limit, a catch limit. And um, you can buy and sell them, kind of like carbon. Uh, uh, um, and <laughs> they almost erased all their fish and now their fisheries are incredible and they're exporting and they're making money. And um, there's an issue in Iceland where a lot of the fish uh, uh, quotas uh, or the permits have collected at the top. Some very wealthy Mm -hmm. families have bought them all. So Iceland is now trying to figure out how to deal with that. Right. Um, But for the fish, it's been a very good move. By them, and you find places around the world really doing some cool stuff. I mean, Costa Rica has um, is amazing with regards to uh, uh, food production and sustainability, and it's you know I think it's a it's a different they're going out a different way. They take all the money that they could have had in a standing army, and they put it back into society, so they don't have a military, and instead they put it towards education. And food and uh, childcare. And um, so you see. uh, Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) They need an army. Whatever, hippie. Go kill some people, (laughs) Costa Rica.
0: What about their wall? Did they build a wall?
1: (laughs) Well, one of the things we were down there, and one of the things they're having a moment like us, where sort of uh, the, the macho sort of um dictatorial side of Costa Rica, which hasn't been around for 50 years, 70 years, is starting to rise again, kind of like here. And they're having to deal with sort of um people are upset about immigrants passing through. And you know, so the fight continues always. You just have
0: to Yeah, move. this is everywhere. Yeah. You know, I I've you know watched this happening throughout Europe in the last you know, 15 years. It was just kind of this wave. So by the time everything kind of reaches here, no, nothing surprised me much anymore. A lot of it's anti-immigrant. There, the immigrants are in Europe. They're coming from, you know, Syria in the Middle East, Certainly, and, yeah, and yeah. then in in Costa Rica, they're all coming up from Venezuela, which is now kind of like a, you know, the Colombians. When I was down there, they were like complaining about the Venezuelans coming over, and just like, you know, and then the yeah, yeah. I was we're in Alaska. Yeah, we all tied. And America complains about the Californians moving into their state. That's right.
1: The Texans are like, get out of here. Yeah. Wyoming!" We were in Wyoming and they were like, stop moving here. Exactly.
0: I like, it's I don't know. It, it's tough. So give me something fun, like what was like uh, an experience that really stands out in whatever country you went to. Is there a certain episode that you look back
1: on? And it's like that was wild. Wow. Well, so I, I went to Kenya. And look, every episode is, is bananas. There's crazy stuff. Particularly, we were traveling the last two years during the pandemic. So that was like surreal. I was going around, me and my crew, in a hazmat suits and uh, on planes. And the, there's nothing more funny than being in a in a big hazmat suit sort of with this um, uh, gas mask on and coughing <laughs> inside the gas mask on the plane and had everybody staring yeah. at you. Um, but So we went to Kenya. And we were, I was in LA and, um, and it was the height of the pandemic. And I was like, I wonder what these other countries are going through. So I Googled Kenya COVID and it was like, Kenya COVID exploding. I was like, Oh no, what's going to happen. And I looked and it was 50 cases in the country. And I was like, get me out of Riverside County. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Kenya. So we went to Kenya and we went out into the, uh, with the Maasai out into the Mara and we were there's an amazing restaurant called Cultiva, and the chef um also is the chef for a, a traveling safari a safari that doesn't have um any set place so they tent up and they move along through the mara all the way up into the highlands which are the the forest so we collected with um the Maasai I harvested along the journey to complete the meal at the top of this sacred forest. Um, and that was such an amazing experience and so different. Um, basically a lot of these roots and herbs don't even have scientific names because they haven't been classified yet. And, um, you know, we're, we're eating stuff. And there was a moment where they gave me a berry to try and I tried it and it tasted terrible. And I was like, what's this for? He's like, Oh, you eat it. And it makes you throw up. And you're like, great. <laughs> Thank you. But it's the cure it up stomachs. <laughs> yeah. Did it so, work? Uh, Did you throw up? I didn't, but I felt, I felt it was like 20 minutes of fear. I was like, am I going to vomit? Right. Am I going to vomit? So um, yeah, that was, um, that was pretty amazing. Um, we ended up bartering for, I bartered for a goat. Um, and the Maasai are, are a blood and dairy culture. So, um, they, they don't usually kill animals. They, they, uh, so they'll bleed a cow and mix it with milk and that, that they'll drink it. Um, and that's, uh, they, they very rarely will slaughter something. But in the case of a visiting TV host that we slaughtered a, a, a goat, which is kind of like, when people get married or whatever. And, um, and we, you, you butcher it traditionally, you collect the blood, you drink the blood, you eat some of the parts of it raw. So we had raw uh, goat kidney. Um, And then so there's not a lot of edible um, plants there. And so what they do is they take the intestines and the stomach and they'll boil it in a stew. And it still has, grasses and and dung inside of it and then you eat it and that is one of the most horrible things ever uh and then uh but at the same time we roasted the ribs uh those were some of the best ribs i've ever had <laughs> probably in comparison to the the, the intestine yeah um but yeah just and you're you're sitting on the edge of a you know there was a root that we went up into the sacred forest to find, and it. Um, we were led by shaman who okayed everything, um, and and there's this root that basically tastes like vanilla, um, and we were making a creme brulee on the top of this mountain out of a root that you know, no one. I don't know the scientific name for it. I don't know what the name is, um, and uh, it was it was surreal.
0: Yeah. No, that's amazing. So if you had a dream list of places to go and you could lay out the next 10 episodes, what do you have in mind? Or maybe you oh, already have done.
1: It. Yeah, no, this is a good question because we're in the midst of picking our next 10 to 15. Um, from the beginning, I wanted to do Japan. I want to do sushi. Uh, but the pandemic, everything was real tight. Like you couldn't get in anywhere in Asia for the last couple of years. So we're going to do Japan this year. Um I want to do uh, France, um, just because French food and there's a restaurant called Le Jean that is one of my favorites <clears throat> in Paris. And he's a real he's a real angry chef. He yells at the the waitstaff. The waitstaff yells at the customers, and the food is bananas good. And so um, we've already agreed that we're going to do it. And there's this very famous dish called. Gosh, it's like something royale. And it was a dish that was made for the king in like the 15 or 1600s. And it's like almost like a turducken. It's like the French turducken. Right. They would never want to use the turducken. Sure. The game. But but yeah, it's like it's like, uh, it's like meat, inside meat inside of meat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do that. And and this chef and his uh, gastronomy uh, friends have started a competition every year for who makes the best version of this. So we are going to enter that competition. Um, so, so France, um, Japan. Um, I want to do NOLA uh, here. I think New Orleans is going to be, be amazing. I've been trying to do that for a while. Um, I want to do Cuban food. I want to do miami and then we fly to cuba and actually and actually do it there just because i think that that'll be um the cultural experience i think would be really cool as well have you been to, cuba? to say something have you been to cuba i have a long time ago i went once i don't even know if i should say this legally and once illegally right uh, <laughs> i snuck in
0: i admit it i snuck in you snuck in where'd you go through i went through cancun
1: ah i went through the caymans
0: okay all right,
1: and I, yeah. I put I put twenty dollars in my passport because they said you know pay him twenty and then and then tell them ask them not to stamp your passport. And my buddy was right behind me, and I put twenty in. I said you know in Spanish I learned the phrase please don't stamp my passport. He looked at me, he took the twenty, he stamped my passport. I was like oh my god, and I turned <laughs> back to Wally. I was like Wally, he stamped my passport. And then Wally couldn't do anything because he's stuck on the customs line, right? Yeah. So he goes please don't stamp my passport. The guy stamped his passport, took his twenty. And then we were trapped. We didn't know, like, because at the time it was it was twenty years in jail and two hundred thousand dollar fines and crazy stuff. Because you're you're doing business <laughs> with the enemy is is how it's yeah. Crazy. And then so we ended up flying back into the Caymans and lost quote unquote our passports. <laughs> um, and then uh, it was pre 9 11 so we got back into Philly and we we were just two college kids and they were like, yeah, you go through blah blah blah.
0: Yeah yeah it was interesting they like I went through Cancun and they basically stamped they give me a piece of paper oh. i said I would say this is like two thousand nine maybe ten, and uh so they put like a piece of paper in it that said some kind of temporary visa or something. they stamped that they didn't stamp the actual passport, but
1: you lucked out, man, yeah, I mean. Wow. 219 19 19-year-olds almost shit their pants in the, in the Cuban <laughs> customs line. But it's a fascinating
0: place because, uh, you know, the Cuban food was probably better. I think it is better in Miami.
1: Oh, so much better. Because
0: yeah. they have access to the ingredients. You know, the Ooh. Cubans themselves are really poor yep. and they're on these, like, basically food stamps. Yep. You know, they're rationed there by their foods. They do, do the best with what they have, but they, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that'll the be best interesting. Stuff
1: that's produced there actually gets exported because the country is dying for some money. So they, right. they sort of get the the bad cuts of meat. And uh and we did one day we went and got we went to the black market because we act we had US dollars and um and that was really like you could see what if if Cuba had if Cuba wasn't 90 miles off the coast of its sworn enemy, right? Like what you know, Cuban food could really be like in Cuba. Yeah. Um, so, uh,
0: doesn't the policy, like the US policy for Cuba, just seem ridiculous when you're there? You're just like, who is this helping? Oh my you God. Know, this is this. We've been doing this for, you know, 50 years.
1: What? Castro's
0: are still in power. The people are still poor. Like,
1: what kind of spite is that? Like, <laughs> yeah. why? I mean, obviously, it's a political agenda for, you know, of course, Miami Cubans, but it's sort of like, and even when you look at, Historically, the Dominican Republic had a fascist revolution at the same time that Cubans had this communist revolution, and you know the fascist revolution was backed by us. And you turn around and, and DR is in a terrible state, and while Cuba is extremely poor, they have the most doctors, they're the best educated, you know, Latin Americans. They have the, the highest uh, literacy rate in in. You know, it's just like I really do think about. What would Cuba be like if the U.S. hadn't decided to just put its boot on its neck for the last seventy years?
0: Like, yeah, no, it's fascinating to think about it. It, it. There's not a lot of success stories down there. I mean, would it be a protectorate like Puerto Rico? You know, and, and Puerto Rico has its own share of problems. Yeah. You know, and, or yeah. would it be full on Haiti? You know, you don't know what it, well, what it would look like. <laughs>
1: It's interesting that Cuba has managed to not fall apart like other countries that kind of stood up to the U.S. Yeah. Like, obviously, Cuba's in a, in, a in, in not a great shape. But when you go there, it's not like you're going into Caracas, right? The Venezuelans stood up to the U.S. and really got just eviscerated. And this, Haiti, right, they, they said, we don't want to be slaves anymore. And then Western Europe was like, oh, really? OK, well, let's give you 200 years of hell. Yeah. And uh, so so Fidel and the, the, the Castros did something miraculous, like however you think about sort of their politics um, to stand up to the face of the most powerful country on the planet and and survive um, and accomplish some of what they're you know what they wanted. I mean, at the heart of it, the only thing that really is the rub now is you. Cuba wants if you're going to start a business in Cuba, a Cuban has to own 51% of it. And that's the main sticking point. And that doesn't sound like a bad sticking point for me. Like, I think it's something that US citizens would agree with. If you're going to start a company in America, an American should own 51% of it, right? That sounds reasonable. Keep some of the money here. And that's what Cuba wants right now. And that is, um, well,
0: it stifles development. I mean, in terms of like international development, like a business, say a big hotel chain or something's like, well, we're sure. n- we don't want any part of that.
1: Sure. Well, the, <laughs> there are. I mean, the Dutch came in, you know, the Dutch came in and they've got their hotels there now because they agreed to the to the terms. So yeah. Sheridan doesn't get to be there, but I'm not sure what the Dutch. Um, there was a funny story I read where. We passed a law, the Helms-Burton law here. Declared that when the revolu when the castros died or whatever that the land that um the land would revert back to the cuban americans who were here so the us government passed a law determining lands in another country and so after that happened the dutch passed a law that said when the us government collapses new amsterdam reverts back to the yeah. people in <laughs> holland who owned it
0: Yeah. So Manhattan goes back to the Dutch.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's a good theory. Yeah. I doubt it'll shake down that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But But, they passed that law.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Um, So like, how has it changed your eating? Like, uh, like doing this show and how has it changed uh, you and your families, the way you shop, the way you eat and everything else?
1: Well, um, Meat is uh, it's much more rare, or not cooked rare. <laughs> yeah, like, or it's more medium well. It's a I eat it bloody now <laughs> after eating the raw kidney in Kenya. Oh, no, I you know meat has turned to a, a smaller a, a condiment almost. Yeah. Um, it's a honestly. reward. It's a treat. It's a treat. Yeah. And I, in a way, it's so weird. Like it's how my mom grew up eating, right? Only a generation ago, she grew up in Montana. They were not the wealthiest family. So they got chicken a couple times a week. And if they had beef once a month, it was a huge deal. Right. Um, and they had a family of, they were eight. So if you got a piece of chicken, it was a small piece of chicken, right? Like yeah. um, you split that chicken into little pieces and dad got the biggest one. So yeah. So I'm, we're almost going back to this not very long ago. You know, we, we have had. 15- potatoes,
0: a lot of potatoes for filler. a lot of
1: Potatoes. And, but, but also greens. Like we're doing, we're really getting into sort of Brussels sprouts are on the plate. We'll do a big cabbage. Like um, my boy. Almost eats vegetarian at this point. And, and, and it's not only from us, I, for whatever reason, he doesn't like to eat all that much meat. He'd much rather dig into a sweet potato or, or, you know, he loves um, this morning. He said he wa- he didn't want eggs. He wanted, um, what do you call it? Uh, oats. He wanted oatmeal. Yeah. Right. Um, and so we are, and health wise, um, I've seen a change in my health. Um, It's, it's certainly hard to go around the world and make a food show. Um, It's, that's a disaster, especially like when everyone's like here, welcome to our country, eat some more. And you're like, oh no, but by making, by making meat, um, you know, the appetizer or the condiment um, it's super easy now, like, and I enjoy it more like, as opposed to sort of unconscious consumption of a burger, like, Oh, you know, here's burger and fries. And I (laughs) ate, I ate some bacon and eggs this morning. Like we did just a, in the book, a thumbnail sort of, um, if I ate two dishes a day since I was a kid to now that had meat in them. And that's actually kind of low probably because meat is in any, everything like cow product is, everywhere then then i i killed thirty five thousand animals just me which is insane that number is insane and that doesn't include like you know the all you can eat vegas buffets or the the you know italian sub with piled high with different yeah. meats on it like that's just two things a day and there'll be some breakfast where there's four four animals on that table right you get a yeah. chicken, apple sausage, because some people want the sausage. You get the bacon, some people want the bacon. Like,
0: now I think about it growing up in the Midwest. I mean, I, we had meat at, in some form every dinner. You know, they would, they, it was frozen, then they'd leave it out in the morning before going to work on the counter and it would defrost yeah. during the day and they come back. And I could come home from school and I could see on the counter, oh, it looks like pork chops tonight. Oh, it looks like hamburger tonight, you know, yeah. but it was it was always something. And the idea of being, you know, now I don't, I eat very I eat my, far less meat than I that yeah. I did growing up. But uh, I never saw my dad eat a vegetable, pretty much. You know, so it was just kind of like, and yeah, I we got to change. Came, Maybe that's that was progress. That generation,
1: right? right? That was that generation that showed that you had money. We you could ate. afford
0: meat now. You that's know, right. he, he grew up in the Depression and, and during the war when they actually heard no you know exactly so he wasn't a boomer yeah he wasn't a boomer you know and so uh it was a treat and so when he could afford it it was like yeah when when eat it all the time
1: and you see that around around the world we were in finland and finland's actually an incredible they have a really amazing relationship with food right now um finland is an incredible thoughtful place just in general around childhood education we went to finland finland is you know, it wins the happiest country in the world awards and the smartest country in the world awards. So we went there to do a episode on how does their food, does their food have anything to do with this? Does their food culture have anything to do with this? And it kind of does like, um, but with, but they, they went through uh, a terrible time where Finland was really, really third world. They had no money right after the war. They owed the Soviet union an insane amount of money and, The Soviet Union asked for that in armaments and and industry, which built up Finland um, as a tech giant. And then when they paid back the Soviet Union, suddenly they had all this tech capabilities and and they manufacture things. So they jumped from being third world into being very wealthy. And so everybody wanted sausages and meat on their plate uh, because they hadn't ever had it before. And the men were dying at age 51. In, in 1970, the men were dying at age 51 because they were all dying of heart attacks. Yeah. And, uh, and the government said, wait a minute, something has to change. And um, so they went back and, you know, everybody had been eating rye bread for 200 years. And then suddenly it was all fat and um, not good fats. And so they started serving traditional meals for breakfast and lunch in schools and playgrounds even in the summertime. And it was a way for to tie kids to traditional healthy foods, but also so that moms wouldn't have to be cooking three meals a day at home. And the community comes out. We were in the middle of the summer in Helsinki and we went to a playground and they had a big cauldron of stew and a, and a chunk of rye bread and all the kids had their bowls. <laughs> and my boy ran around with these Finnish kids and then lined up to get his bowl of soup And his rye bread, and the mom sat there just chilling and talking. And it seemed like such a sane experience. And then I asked, like, well, why is there no sloppy Joe on this plate? Why is there no, you know, pizza on this plate? And it's because doctors are in charge of determining what the food is that's given at schools, um, which also seems very sane. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that was, you know, you go around and you think of, Look, there's a lot of things that America does very well. You know, we talked about bringing back the cod in the Northeast. That's a huge thing that we were able to pull off. Um, and and obviously, you know, feeding, uh, um, you know, the the industrializing food here turned out very well. Their people can have meat on their plate, coming from a time when that was important. Right. Um, so, but now it's our job to look around and see what countries are doing. Cool things and to take them and and make them ours. Um, and and Finland's a place that that can happen. Iceland's a place that that can happen. Costa Rica's a place that that can happen. Um,
0: yeah, but the uh, the the linking um, commonality and all those things is a, a government that gives a crap.
1: Yeah, well, it's our job to push. It's our job. It's the secret lives of citizens. Right. We have given that up on some level because Mm -hmm. we it's it's a pain in the butt. Right. And we have other things we want to do. But these are countries where they are extremely involved in what goes down. And um, and that's part of their role. Um, We need to turn off the TV a little bit more. We need to um, get out and demonstrate. We need to uh, you know show up at, at, at school board meetings. and um, And you know, I think, as crazy as the last few years have been, I, I have never been as hopeful about America as I am now. There's some scary stuff going on, but <clears throat> if you look at a lot of the stuff that's, that, that is happening where people are galvanizing, marching in the streets for their rights, unionizing to, they realize the politicians are not going to do a lot of what, you know, they promise. And so people are getting off their butts and and working hard to fix some things that are going on. Um, I, I, growing up, I would have never, I mean, Bernie Sanders wouldn't, didn't exist when I was in my twenties, right? <laughs> the fact that a Bernie Sanders could be the most popular politician in America is amazing, right?
0: Well, guys like him existed. You know, the, the message was always out there, but they were uh, they didn't have a platform and they couldn't be heard quite right. often. There's always right. been like a a far left party, and this. And by the yeah, way, yeah, but, but nobody. By the way, him. and he, he wouldn't. His policies wouldn't be considered. That far left in a lot of the in the rest, in a lot of the, of the, the, <laughs> of the right. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's not but, a radical but, in, in uh,
1: Finland. But I think to to think that he is the most popular politician in the country is what is. Yes, he has existed in the past. But for everybody to be talking about him, for him to run to, for president and for the Dems to be scared that he could possibly be their candidate <laughs> is crazy. Right. Like, Wow. <laughs> Um, just so you know, I, I, I produced a lot of the Sanders ad campaign during the the 16 election. So I, I was very much behind him. I think um, we are so lucky to have him. Um, so
0: when you tell people to turn off the TV, they don't, you don't mean during uh, your show, of course.
1: No, obviously not. <laughs> we're, we're streaming. So you can watch it on the computer.
0: Turn oh, okay. Off
1: the <laughs> turn off the
0: t- the cable. Right. <laughs> Well, I'd be remiss to get it off the, uh, the food subject for a bit. Um, you know, uh, does it bother you that like so many of your intros and, and things like that when people, it, you know, he's oh, the kid from, yeah. Right. So you know what it's going to be. Um, you know, they have to bring a big or newsies, right. I mean, does that, have you turned that into a positive in your life now?
1: Or is it like something oh, yeah. that. Is it it's, a always been, it's always been positive for me like you know I've never been I was never famous famous like Tom Cruise where like or Brad Pitt where you walk around yeah. you can't have a real life in a sense you have a real life but it's very different I was always just somebody that you know people would see me on the subway and nod and smile <laughs> like they knew me like we went to camp together and that I was somebody that they liked and sometimes I get a free coffee someone's like I know you and uh and then I go camp Vermont, 1988, <laughs> like 17 or 18 years old. And, uh, and they laugh. So in, in a way, I've walked around kind of blessed, you know, and, and it's never been in a place where I think if people knew where they knew me from a lot, and pigeonholed me that it would feel a little bit, you know, I'd be like, Oh, well, I've done more than that now, blah, blah, blah. But, but it's never been like that. I was never a name enough that like, I mean, I think it, for Macaulay Culkin, it's probably pretty rough. Right. And he had to do deal with some stuff cause he got so famous from something. Um, but me, it was just sort of like, and I've, I've always jumped in and out of um, about every five years, I got something that was in the pop culture. So like, I can kind of tell when someone's going to come up to me and talk with me about a, a specific thing. So like newsies, it's always dancers, right? And they're the, <laughs> yeah. they're the best fans in the world. They're also the craziest fans in the world. So they'll be <laughs> like, hi, and I can see them coming. And I'm like, Oh, that's a newsies fan coming at me. Uh... <laughs> and big is usually right now it's parents. Right. And they'll be standing there and there's like some little kid hiding behind them. And they'll be like, this is the kid that you saw yesterday <laughs> on the TV when I showed you that movie. Right. And then something like Honey, you know, it's usually younger. A teenager will come up and they'll be like, oh, man, you were that bad guy. And i will be like, well, if Jessica had just slept with me, there wouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> and then they laugh. And so, uh, uh, no, um, it allows me freedom. The, the You know, be, because because I worked a lot as a kid. I now can do what I want. I can make this show, right? Um, and I wouldn't have been able to get on TV if I hadn't been the kid from Big and Newsies, if I didn't have a fan club. Um, you know, when we were looking around for somebody to host the show, um, it was hard. We had a couple people and we pitched it with them as the leads, and they, they were chefs, so they were sort of more knowledgeable uh, than me. And then was my phone not
0: working that day? I, th- I think
1: I called it was went, my
0: was my email not uh, going through. I, I can't remember that problem. Oh, was you that it? OK. Yeah. yeah, I know. Um, if you only oh, knew a TV host that travels a lot, <laughs> where would we find a guy like that?
1: They don't exist.
0: Oh. I'll do it. But no, on the flip side of that, in all seriousness, you know, we're coming into that thing where I, you know, I hosted shows, you know, for 10, 15 years, you know, pretty consistently and all different. Some were about music, some were about homes, some were showbiz, some was travel. Um, but I never got famous enough from all those where like my name sells a show. Right. So yeah. that's a, that's the doubt. Like I don't want to be bothered on the street either. You know, I don't want to be, you but know, I'd like to have nice a life when too, you but show. When, yeah. you, when you come in with an idea and uh, now, you know, they want, especially as I get older, you know, if you're not some kind of famous, you need, to, get famous, on TikTok,
1: you need yeah. to start dancing. You need to start dancing. And this TikTok. is my
0: problem now. It's I'm bad at social media.
1: Um, yeah. So that's no, and It's all of our problems. It's like to yes. have, like I have a TV show. I wrote a book. And the first thing that my publicists are saying is like, listen, your social media sucks. And I'm like, Oh God. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is the, this is that new world. And I I wish I could find like I'm like looking for like the youngster who will just take it over and like write funny, pithy things for me. And I'll send them pictures every now and then and they could just handle it. But um, look, we we want a big life. You and I want a big life. What we're asking for is is not easy. Right No. Yeah. And we we would do our jobs for free. We can't tell anybody that, but we would do our jobs for free. So we <laughs> I have it, yeah. We get paid for the hustle on the other side, right? We get paid to like freaking keep my Instagram account. Like yeah. I shouldn't be saying, I shouldn't be sitting on this. You're paid. Well, you're paid for when you're not working.
0: You know, people are like, wow, that, you made that for that t- TV show or whatever. It's like, yeah, that was 10 weeks. And now yeah. I'm, you know, looking for work for another year
1: or more. Yeah. The, in be, the in between. Or, yeah. uh, um, A friend of mine uh, said a very cool, he was like, um, Working for yourself or being an entrepreneur or whatever is like riding a tiger, and everybody looks at it and they're like, "Oh my god, you're on that tiger! That's incredible!" And then you're like, "How do I get on this tiger? Someone get me off this tiger! This is crazy." Um, it's
0: got to be an easier way to make a living than riding the tiger. But when you're on that tiger, babe, man, it's uh, it's it's exciting like that tiger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, has this inspired you to do any other kind of like, um? certainly hosting or producing and on TV. do you have any other ideas that you're yeah, going we, out with?
1: We have a, um, we have a, sh- a spin-off that got picked up from, from scratch and um, it's, but it's from scratch home. How do you build a house from scratch? So we are, we are renovating uh, a home. It now looks like it's in Ojai. Um, if, if the offer is accepted, which I believe it will be um, then, then, you know, We make bamboo flooring, I go to Thailand, I harvest bamboo. We make a faucet, I mine iron, I smelt steel, I go to mowing, I make the mold and we make a faucet. So you're gonna learn the history of construction, you're gonna learn how things are done, the pride and hard work of the working people who, who make these things happen. And you'll see how uh, expertise is really necessary because I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, and, and you're going to, I think that's one of the things that works on the TV series as well is that people look it's in, in a way it's good that we didn't go with the chefs that nobody said yes, because people can laugh at me and watch me, you know, fail all the time which happens a lot and then you see what real experts look like the people standing next to me teaching me how to do things like so half my cousins in utah who do hunt and farm and you know they look at it and they're like david's an idiot what are you doing don't do that and then they listen to the guide and they're like that guy knows what he's saying i would do it a little different i time i fly for my fishing like this and so you really get this like a simple way to say it's like red state, blue state, right? Like both <laughs> sides can watch it and get something out of it. Um and uh my one cousin who who lives in North Dakota and really like out in the middle of nowhere, and he's sort of like the handyman for this small aging town. Um, and he he called me up and he was like, I'm so thankful that you made a show like this that kind of puts what we do um in a in a really cool light. Like it, it feels like um uh he felt like i was championing him um in a way and i want to do that with the with the uh with the home show as well because i think it would be kind of neat um and we also get to talk about environmental issues and um deep dive and sort of like the future of home building and and you know how concrete is changing and um so we're in the middle we're gonna try and shoot both at the same time which will be pretty wild so we'll travel to Japan to make sushi and we'll harvest bamboo, and uh, my, <laughs> well, my showrunners are losing their minds. But
0: yeah, well, someone who uh, had bamboo growing in their backyard, I think we should make everything out of it because it's the fastest growing thing in the world. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's like a weed, and it, it just uh, it's amazing. And you Can see we, these bicycles that they make out of bamboo, like. Or you go to Asia and then the uh, construction sites, the scaffolding on the outside is all yeah. bamboo. It's not metal scaffolding. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And the boats and the you know buildings are made out of it and flooring. That's a like great you
1: said. idea. I should put up scaffolding on the outside of this house and it should be bamboo. That would be really cool.
0: <laughs> Asian style. Um, well, finally, well, we should wrap it up now. Let, you you talked about your social media and we should we should plug that. Where can people see you on <laughs> social? Are you on the gram, man? Are you tick What are you
1: doing? As right as I badmouth it, yeah. I'm, I'm on I'm on Instagram. It's <laughs> it's uh David Rafael Moscow at David Raphael Moscow. And um yeah, it's uh, as much as I I talk badly about it, it is really fun to kind of like show behind the scenes and my own personal um asides on what we're shooting shooting and what we're doing because you know, the show is run by the producers and the editors and they make it all clean and stuff. But there is a lot of just fun stuff that like happens off camera that um, we catch. And we we um, I post pretty regularly at this point. I've been commanded to post regularly. So <laughs> Can, I do.
0: Is the uh, the TV show up on YouTube? Can people see clips of that?
1: Every the tv show was nowhere at the moment we because of the negotiation so it was available and now it is not unless you live around the world and we're in 11 countries right now uh australia western europe um oh my gosh where are we uh on the trains on the planes Mm -hmm. um and so i think in november by november i get the next report and i feel like we're going to be in like 15 countries because they were pretty close to locking in um pan asia and um Yeah, so you can't see it in America at this moment right now, but from my understanding, that's going to change in the next month. Um, And so, did
0: you guys touch on COVID, and will you do a follow up of like uh, the effect it had? You know, the book
1: in the book we do in the book it is um, COVID is all around us in some of the chapters because that's just the way life was. Um, I went to Wyoming. To work with a Native American chef um, who runs uh, the top um, food truck in Wyoming, and um, she made an elk meat, an elk dish, and so I went out to try and get elk, and I was in Wyoming in the middle of COVID, and nobody believed that COVID was real. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, this is wild. This yeah. is America. Look at you, yeah. America. And I drove, I drove to
0: Utah. It was the same thing. I was the only guy wearing a
1: mask in a we're supermarket. A mask, yeah. And we landed, we landed and there was, um, we were going to do two episodes of Wyoming and the restaurant that we were first going to do, the guy calls us and said, my whole staff is sick. We're down. And we were like, what are, what are we, what do we do? So we ended up making a, a third episode in Washington state. So we just got out, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that was, it was, it was pretty surreal. And that's in the book. So, um, and one of the things like, you know, the show is really poppy and fun. We touch a lot, we touch a little on some of the deeper issues, but it really is just a celebration of the food producers that we're working with. And, um, the book is a, is a much more, if you want to, you know, a handbook almost for the future of food, like we talk about sort of ways that you can eat better ways that you can support, um, more humane, uh, uh, farming practices, um, and, uh, and then and we, and we deep dive into sort of international issues, COVID. Um. And people can get
0: the book on Amazon? And-
1: yeah, yeah book, we're in pre-sale right now. I highly recommend it. Um, you can go on to my website, which is discoverfromscratch.com. And you can actually, uh, if you pre-order now, we send you the first chapter ahead of time. There's a, a cookbook, um, a recipes from a lot of the chefs that we worked with. Um, and we do chefs that are really, really sort of like last year. Um, we when we went to Peru, um, Central just won the second best restaurant in the world, and Virgilio. So we've got like really, really fancy dishes, and then really, really sort of like food truck, home cook, um, and and if you if you buy if you pre order the book now, we send you. That as well. Um, so I highly recommend go on to discoverfromscratch.com from and, and pre-order the book. Well, real
0: quick, what won't you eat? Have you ever like turned your nose up and said, it's like I can't do that? Nope, I can't. Any like you ate the intestines. I mean, uh where's where's your line is what I'm trying to find.
1: Oh wow. Uh, well, prior to the show, I had a lot of boundaries. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then my director's like, look it makes for good TV. You got to eat this, David. And I was like, well, if I'm eating it, you're eating it. So now Marty <laughs> has to eat everything. And he's the one who gets nervous around things. He's like, you're going to eat that. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to eat that. Just so I could watch you eat that. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I right now, I mean, eating, eating, eating poop,
0: that's eating that's goat poop,
1: cooked goat poop. You know, was it was hard. That was really, really. Yeah,
0: that sounds rough.
1: Man. That was so bad, and have it you... stuck in my nostrils, like oh. for a long time. Like I could smell that there were goats around <laughs>
0: because oh, I'd be God. like, "Oh, uh oh, no, that's in goats me over there." That's in me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, have you done the insects or anything in China or anything? Not like Not on kind, the or... show,
1: uh, but I had I did that like just you know traveling through Thailand. We were on yeah. a, we were on a train and we got off at, at some town. And there happened to be a big festival. We were like, oh, there's a festival down there. Let's go check it out. And it was a bug festival. It was all different kinds of bugs. You would eat fried and, and I ate grasshopper and bee, and, um, and you know, they do, they make these like cricket, like meal night. You can make pancakes and stuff with cricket. So I've done that. Yeah. It would be interesting on the show. Um, protein. Yep. Protein, protein. And, and most primates, you know, that's. I think that's where they get 90% of their their uh protein from chimpanzees, gorillas, whether they're picking up bugs themselves or when they're eating bananas and leaves there are bugs on it and you know that's where we came from. So yeah. um we may end up going back there one day if we don't fix all this stuff.
0: Sure. Is uh was well, soil and green. I think that uh, we we all we learned the answer years ago.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: Did uh, so finally I uh, I wrap it up and ask what um what is all this travel that you've done and and meeting people around the world and and all you've learned? how has it changed you as a person and how you look at life and and the people around you
1: know it gives me uh I, we talked about that a little earlier, but it gives me hope in humanity it it you know um it makes me you know i've always been a people person i just like people and sometimes you get overwhelmed by the news that's coming at you and and there's a lot of like the creation of friction the creation of division out there and traveling erases that traveling puts you face to face with your brothers and sisters with your neighbors um, who are eating amazing foods, experiencing things that are so different from you. Um, when I landed in Kenya, you know, it was, it was one of the more sort of, um, I rarely get culture shock, but it was one of the more moments where I was like, Whoa, this is so different. And then as we went around, as we walked together, harvesting and just hanging out, you know, you, you just end up seeing the humanity. They're the same as me. They're just on a different path, doing different things, but I get it. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it's a great gift to yourself to go out and, and see new cultures and eat new great food that you've never tried before.
0: (laughs) No, that's great. Well, David, thanks for doing this. I'm glad we could catch up again.
1: Thank you for having me, man. Thank you very much. This was wonderful.
0: Oh, well, have a great time there in San Diego with the family.
1: Yeah, thank you. Is this a
0: preschool uh, trip? He's off for two weeks, so we
1: we were going to go to Europe um, uh, and actually and do some prep on the show. We may we have an opportunity to maybe do Noma this year. Okay, phenomenal. And um, and then we we realized that our little baby, we have a eight week old, nine week old. Oh my God, she needs a passport. Oh right! (laughs) And we were like, "Oh, whoa, okay." So (laughs) that got kicked. We're kicking that down the line, and we're doing a staycation. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Let's grab a coffee in 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 Santa Monica. Absolutely. To to San Diego to see you. Yeah. See you right there.
0: All right, I'll contact you after this is done. Thanks again for doing this, David Moscow. Everybody.
1: Thank you for having me. See you. Bye.